It started as a lovely morning that Tuesday in September. But at 0846 hours, it all changed. Life as we knew it came to a wrenching stop. following podcast is a Carolina Boys production. Welcome back, everyone, to Crime and Entertainment that we hope everyone enjoyed last week's 9-11 episode with Eric Ronigan. I know I promised a few more. We had some technical difficulties on our end, but here is one of the great ones that we had to go along with the 9-11 episodes, folks. We are going to drop a separate episode also probably tomorrow for this week, but we don't want to gloss over this story because we had a survivor from inside the tower with Eric Ronigan, now we've got an actual FDNY firefighter who takes you through the events of these days as a firefighter. You know, a lot of firefighters died in 9-11. A lot of cops died. A lot of civilians died. I mean, just, you know, so tragic. And we want to make sure that these stories aren't forgotten, that they aren't, you know, just become a memory because it's seared into their minds the the seriousness that went on that day and, and it certainly shaped my life um, in my lifetime i can't think of anything that has brought this country to their knees quite like that and you know i hope i don't experience anything else that does it to that magnitude either but you know talking with this gentleman here his name is david carpenter he was a member of the fdny he was on duty that day and just as you can hear in this episode, folks, you can hear it in his voice, how much it still pains him to bring back some of these memories. And it's just, you know, in some cases, he says it felt like it was a long time ago. In some cases, he felt like it was yesterday. But you could see the emotion in his face. If you go over to the YouTube, this actually was put up on YouTube on Saturday. But if you go over there and you watch that, you can see the emotion in his face. You can see how it pains him, you know, to bring up with some of these memories. And I think it's important that we're able to, you know, still let these stories be told, still let these stories be out there so they can live on regardless, you know, of how long we are here, these stories can still live on and let people know exactly how it was in detail there because a lot of us only got to see news clips and we had to form our own opinions. But with, you know, technology the way it is today and podcasts and things like this, this kind of gives you a firsthand account, firsthand look of everything that transpired that day. And the story is nothing short of amazing, folks. So I'm going to let you get right into it here with former FDNY firefighter david carpenter here on crime and entertainment ladies and gentlemen welcome back to crime and entertainment now today we have another one of our 9-11 stories 
we put out a few this week uh, for the anniversary. Those stories were absolutely amazing. I'm sure this is going to be right up there with them uh, to, you know, just take in all the accounts of heroism that went on by random people, bystanders, and of course, firefighters, which we have on the show today. Please welcome David Carpenter Jr. David, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thank you, sir. Well, look, I'm glad you could stop by the show. I'm glad you could uh, tell this story because obviously this week was the anniversary of 9-11. The world, uh, I don't think, will hopefully never see nothing quite as bad as that day. I mean, that's one of the things that I think I'll probably live, you know, remembering just like it happened. And that was from me watching it on TV. Obviously, people that are there firsthand and seeing the kind of situations and and things that was taking place, it had to be, you know, I I can't even imagine. I can't even put myself in that situation. And especially being someone with your job where most people, you know, you see on video are running out. Y'all have got the exact opposite job is to run in. But before we get to 9-11, let's kind of go back just a little bit. You know, where did you come up? Were you a native New Yorker, and what led you into becoming a firefighter? Uh, well, yeah, I'm a native New Yorker, but I, I live in uh, Clayton, North Carolina right now. Clayton, um, North Carolina? Since I was Clayton, North Carolina. Well, I'm in yes, South sir. Carolina, so not too far. Okay. Awesome, awesome. Great state. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I was uh, raised, and um, my mom was an EMS and uh, raised in, around the uh, Volunteer Ambulance Corps there in uh, Ossining, New York. And uh, we lived right behind a firehouse, so I got to know all the guys. And then at 17, I joined the uh, Volunteer Fire Department in Ossining. And that's how I got my foot in the door with the fire department and stuff like that. Um, did went to uh, at, When I graduated high school, I went into the Army for four years. Uh, was down in Panama during uh, Noriega mm-hmm. stuff. And... Um, I came back and I still stayed in the fire department and I had a good friend of mine in the firehouse. His name was Dougie Halleck. And, uh, he gave me the, uh, the application said, you need to fill this out. You're going to be, you'll be great on the job, which we call the fire department. And, uh, I took the test and, um, had got, you know, to about four, four years to get hired through all the physical training, the physical tests, the mental tests, the medical tests, psychological, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So then I got the letter, and I was uh, October fifteenth, nineteen ninety-five. I uh, I uh, went into the uh, FDNY uh, firefighter probationary school in uh, in the Bronx. Okay. And uh, did that. Got on the job. Got assigned to a eighty-three engine. It's in the South Bronx. Did that. Bounced uh, around a couple of firehouses, just as far as. Uh, training was going on and, and stuff like that. Uh, then how, I went back. How rigorous was that training? If you don't mind me asking. Oh, it was, uh, it was good. It was good. Three months of, uh, you know, we were just starting, they were just implementing the, uh, EMS part of firefight, like when the firefighters goes, the EMS or they call an ambulance. Now they send a fire truck and we were just right. starting to do that. So we were trained as, um, basically certified first responders. Uh, with a defibrillator, so we can use the, the shock stuff. You know, just a couple hours short of uh, an EMT. Right. Uh, so we had to do that first, and then we did the second half was all about the firefighting uh, aspect of firefighting. You know, ladders, hoses, going in, rescues, 
you know, making sure you can get out. Um, right. It was very, it was very hard, intense. You know, seven, seven in the morning till four or five o'clock at night. You know, Monday through Friday, and I was then graduated and uh got put in a three engine as a pro for a year, and that's why I was pretty much stayed in the in the South Bronx on 138th Street. Okay. There was a um a TV show uh with Dennis Leary, Rescue Me. Did you ever look at that show? I've watched it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, one of the better ones out there that uh kind of do depict what it was like or what it is like. Well, that's well, I what I wanted little... to talk to you about to see how close to to real that show was compared to some other shows. Because I've watched, you know, I don't know if there's necessarily been any other shows. Maybe Chicago Fire. I think they're still on the air right now. But um, Rescue Me was a, a really good show. I love that show. It's one of my personal favorites. I'm, I'm a big yeah. Dennis Leary fan. I know he does a lot for the firefighters. Oh, yeah, yes, he does. Yeah, yeah, he does an excellent job for the firefighters here and. I think one. Well, I think it was his cousin or something was killed up in uh, outside of Boston in Worcester. Yeah, uh, years ago, and we started doing fundraisers and yeah, Dennis Leary's a yeah, he's he's a good guy and uh, yeah, I would say Rescue Me was pretty. Uh, I watched it and I, I was pretty, you know, close as it can get, you know, to reality in a firehouse in New York City. Yeah, you know, obviously they had to show some kind of drama and stuff like that, but um, I thought it was pretty well done. Okay. Obviously, uh. It was a good show. Right. And it kind of comes out. It's got a lot of ties into nine 11 as well, you know, with mm-hmm. the, the cousin aspect. So let's, um, let's start here. So you're on the job. You got it. You know, at this point, what, uh, what a close to a decade or whatever under your belt, right? Four yeah, nine. yeah, pretty much. So how were, were you on duty on nine 11? Because I mean, by and large, nobody had any idea when they went to bed, on nine ten, that you know they were going to have to deal with these circumstances the next day. You know when they woke up. So were you guys on duty at the time? Were you off duty? What was that? Yeah, I had uh come in the night before Monday night. You we usually use a we always use a twenty four hour shift. Right. So you come in at six o'clock at Monday night, and you're you're on the job until six o'clock Tuesday night. Okay. Uh, that's the way kind of worked. So I had gone in Monday night. You know after the kids got off the bus. You know, kissed him, kissed my wife. I said, I'll see you later, like a regular, normal going to work day. Mm-hmm. Went down to um, went to the firehouse, and uh, it was a pretty uh, slow night. A couple of EMS runs, and I had I was driving, too. I was a chauffeur. Yeah, so the morning of, we uh, we had a brand-new captain come to the firehouse. I had the house watch the night before, so it was early in the morning. I heard the buzzer, got up, let him in. Uh, brand-new captain from uh, Brooklyn. So, in, you know, the Brooklyn and the Bronx firefighters, you know, we have a little, you know, it's a little competition. Of yeah. Who's better? Who's these bigger fires? Bob, yada, yada, yada. So uh, he came in and, uh, you know, guys were still up, you know, sleeping for the night and taking them easy. And some guys were coming in. So I said, hey, uh, Cap, you know, I'll get you want a cup of coffee, yada, yada, yada. And yeah, I got coffee. And I gave him a cup of coffee. And we started just talking about, uh, you know, where you're from, you know, blah, blah, blah. Brooklyn, I'm like, ah, well, you're in the Bronx now, so, you know, hopefully we'll have something for you today, not knowing, you know, what would happen transpire later on. So, right. uh, so some uh, guys came in, uh, a guy with me was uh, Billy Martin, uh, Paul Fowler, Mike Killarney, and uh, Mike had come in, and uh, Billy was a driver, too, a chauffeur, so we just said, hey, who's driving today? 
and uh, Mike said, "I got, I'll do it," because he had what they call a seat because he was a senior senior man. Mm-hmm. So he said, I'll, "I'll drive. I got it. No, no problem." And so we were just, you know, basically uh, starting our routine with, you know, getting the rig ready, making sure checking oxygen bottles, making sure scout packs work, make sure the radios were charged, lights were charged, and then all of a sudden, everybody's like, "Yeah, what the hell happened?" You know, it was on the TV, and you know, guy was sitting there going, "Oh, it's a small." Small Cessna, and you know, we we're like, "What? What's going on?" Blah blah blah. We started getting kind of panicky in the firehouse, and we knew we were going to go, so we started getting our gear. And uh, then the second, you know, couple like half an hour later, the second tower was hit. And right when that was hit, they said, "Hey, we're going for sure." And then the tones went off, and the, we got the uh, ticket. Basically, comes off a computer ticket. And Mike, Mike, uh, the, the captain grabbed that new guy. He can't grab it. Mike, we all got on our rigs. Uh, well, 83 members got on the rig, our engine. Uh, we got on the rig, and I remember calling my wife and saying, you know, not going to be home today. If you put on the TV, blah, blah, you know, put on the TV, not going to be home tonight. And she's like, I see it. Oh, my God. And, you know, so uh, I just said, you know, I love you, and I'll, I'll talk to you later. So at that point, did you was it even like a thought in y'all's minds that those buildings would come tumbling down? Because, like you said, that first one footage never really surfaced of that first tower getting hit. I know there was like something going on in the streets, and somebody did catch it, but that didn't come out until much later. So a lot of people didn't know exactly the size of whatever it was that hit. Yeah, so exactly. I know that that could have been. You know, you think a Cessna? I mean, obviously, you know, somebody's somebody was driving it. So there's going to be some deaths, but you don't think it's going to cause the kind of damage that would lead to, you know, what eventually happened. But with the world's eyes being on it at that time, with it being all over the news and on every channel, that's about the time when I got woken up and told to turn on the TV, I'm like, just kind of getting my bearings, you know, wiping my eyes looking. And then you see the second one hit and that huge explosion. And I'm just like, Holy shit. And that's when it, I think it started clicking for everybody you know, what was going on that we were, you know, under some sort of attack. Did, was that a I, thought I remember, in y'all's uh, minds? That's exactly how a lot of guys felt. Like, you know, not me personally, because I remember what, like, and it blew up and it kind of startled me, you know, because we're watching it in, in, in the kitchen in the firehouse. And then yeah. it, like, what the hell was that? And a guy, Richie Kern, said, dude, that was a missile. There was something that weren't. And, like, and we're like, what are you talking about? You know, like, he didn't, couldn't fathom that this was actually a terrorist attack as being the firefighters. Right. right? So uh, I didn't really realize it, like you said, until later on, days later, when I actually watched some footage of it, and you can actually see it come back around the airplane. And, like, but when you're watching it live, you don't even see that part. All you saw was the explosion right. of the tower. Right? So, you know, next thing you know, you know, all hell kind of broke, broke loose in a firehouse, tries guys trying to get on. The captain was like, no, just the regular crew. And uh, so Mike takes, and we're, we were located right next to the uh, Triborough Bridge, uh-huh. uh, which connects to that and FDR, or you can go over into Queens on the Fog Snack. So it's not that far to Manhattan. So uh, he got a ticket, and I don't know what he was thinking, but and at the end of the story, I'll let you know. But uh, we got the ticket. We get in the rig. We go over the Triborough Bridge. And as you're going over to the bridge into Manhattan, you can. we're looking out the window, 
and uh, you can see the towers on fire, you know, right. like just smoke everywhere. And uh, I remember we were driving down, and uh, Paul Fowler, call him Paulie, great guy, you know, he's, and he was young, and he's like, hey, can we get to, can you get the nozzle today on this job? Which means, like, he has the nozzle, the fire, you know, the right. fire. It's a good position to be in. I mean, my buddy Billy Moore, we looked at each other, like, we looked at Paul, like, the nozzle? What are you talking about, dude? <laughs> Look at what the hell are you talking about? You know, we just kind of chalked it up, whatever. And uh, went, we were going down the FDR Drive, people just going up, you know, trying to get the hell out of me out of Manhattan. Yeah. Cars beep and blah. We were trying to get down. We finally got down to I think it was Thirty Fifth Street and Second Avenue, and there was nobody there. Right. So the captain gets on the phone and he says, "We're supposed to be at the staging area." And they're like, "Where are you?" And the captain says, I'm at 35th Street and 2nd Avenue. Like, no, you're supposed to be at Engine 35, which is on 125th Street and 2nd Avenue, which oh, wow. is 90 blocks north. So we had to get out of the rig and, and try to finagle and get back, get the rig to go back north. So we finally got back down and, you know, the captain got on radio and told uh, the dispatch that we were here. We were, you know, we're, we're there. We're pretty close. You want us to keep going in? And they told us not to. Um, so it took us a little while to get back up to 35 engine and, uh, I remember pulling in and there was like four, four engine companies still there, but no chiefs cars and no, no, no other extra cars. And this is, you know, big chief's house and, uh, get out the rig. The captain goes in to find out what's going on. <laughs> and this lady comes out of this bodega and I don't know, you know, I'm not, don't mean to be in it. I'm just going to say. Out of, out of in Harlem, uh, this lady comes out and it's like I don't know nine o'clock in the morning or something. She's like stumbling with a little brown bag in her mouth, <laughs> and she's like, "Y'all going to the Pentagon?" I'm like, "Lady, what are you talking about? Look down the street, like the Pentagon." We had no clue what was going on, absolutely none. Next thing you know, comes out with all the four rigs, five rigs go back, go down West Side Highway. You know, and we can hear all kind of crazy transmissions on the radio, you know, and we never realized that uh, the first tower collapsed at all because we, you know, we were, we were driving down and somebody, one of the guys, Paul or something, like, got a phone call and uh, they were like, the building, like half it collapsed, like part of it collapsed. Like, we're like, what? Like, just kind of shell-shocked almost, you know. And then when you go down the West Side Highway, the north and the south towers, they don't sit here like this when you're looking at them. They're like they're like this, all right? Right. So if you can you understand? Yeah. Like they're behind each other. So it only looks like one tower. Right. The first tower collapsed while we were driving down there. Lights and sirens, you know, radio was going nuts. We're just like looking at each other like what the hell's going on? And uh so we got down there and uh, you know, Captain's like, Oh, grab this, grab that, grab this. I'm like, Cap, this fucking on your foot stories up we don't all these companies are already in there we're not gonna we don't need all this stuff but he told us you know bring our hoses and so we started walking in and um got down there the pedestrian bridge down there and you can see all the rigs there it was a little bit of it was a little dusty but it wasn't overwhelmingly crazy you know and um i remember uh i just it's hard to say but i one of my memories is um uh, so watching the jumpers, the yeah. people jumping out of the building, and I and it was it was it was constant. It was they were making pack or whatever, but it was it wasn't one, two, or three. It was 
multiple people jumping at the same time holding hands and wow i told billy i so we're still walking down there and um i said billy i can't look no more i said i can't i can't look so i kind of had my head down walking and you know you heard this like weirdest snapping sound like metal snapping sound and i looked up and i the tower started coming down my buddy grabbed me and he said run we turned and we ran as far as fast as we could in our gear but it, that wave just enveloped us i i i, I told that i tell people you know i think i was in the air for a good 20 feet or so i don't even remember that part until i landed back down and i was on the ground and i could see the sunlight coming up so i just knew to crawl that you know crawl towards that light and uh we got we got back up and you can hear one guy 83 engine over here another mike clarney over there billy martin over here like we were just so scattered and then uh we got back together and everybody was okay a little dusty full of shit sorry yeah and uh we made our way back down into um down to ground zero and um just saw nothing but destruction but it was it was weird i tell people like what was it like that day what was it like when it i'm like you ever go out in a snow i don't know well you're in south carolina but i'm from the north but if you will go out in the snowy winter night and snowing but you can't hear anything but all you see is snowflakes mm -hmm. it's like that dead eerie silence that's what it was like for a good two or three minutes and then I, reality must have snapped into me because all it was was just cars exploding and people say oh cars don't explode now these cars were exploding because they were there was so many on fire and then fire trucks were on fire i remember grabbing fire extinguishers trying to put fire trucks out we walked in and it was just there was nothing there it was just where is everybody kind of thing and then cat kind of got a hold and grip of us and we uh you know we started um firefighting operations in seven world trade center but I, it was there was no there was no pressure down there there was no firefighting you know there was no water coming out of the hoses so we were like all right you got it so we just started um helping the helping the guys that didn't make it out you know like picking them up put them in stretchers and bring them into the ambulance but you knew they they you knew they were dead yeah. Was, you know you just you just knew that and um we did that for the whole afternoon we had no idea you know then the, the jets came came around later on in the afternoon buzzing the city we're like what is going on and then someone finally tells us yeah they're, we're under attack and you know they're, they're going to hit the white house the pentagon there's another plane coming there's other more planes coming into the city we were like what the hell's going on you know, it's, it was kind of just a crazy, crazy point in time. But we all, we all try to stay together, or at least kept, kept in contact, not too far from each other. And uh, just, you know, we're picking up, you know, picking up people, firemen, civilians, and just trying to, you know, get them on the stretcher, put them on a on a sheet or whatever was available to bring him to this place that there was ambulance, you know, kind of started to load up and 
go back and do that. We did that all day, all, all night. And I remember probably, I don't know if it was maybe around 7, 30, 8 o'clock, we found a, a bank of phones from the Verizon building or somewhere in that area, I believe. And uh, someone said, yeah, there's a dial tones on it. So you know, I remember it was, must, it was hundreds of phones, but only a couple had dial tones. So I was able to call my wife and say, yeah, I'm alive and tell the kids and everybody I love them. But I'm, obviously, I won't, I'm not going to be home today. Right. Probably won't be home tomorrow. Uh, and she was like, <coughs> okay, you know, love you. Thank God you're okay. Next guy, same thing, calls his wife. You know, it was real quick. And then we went uh, back upstairs and uh, continue, I don't know, trying to rescue and, you know, put fires out. And, but by that time, a lot of uh, a lot of people started coming in from out of town, like uh, a lot of volunteers. And yeah, it just it was a little bit. It was a little bit. It was crazy chaotic for those hours. But then it started to get a little bit of someone was in charge kind of feel. Like you know, it was it was a little bit more of a control guy. Like you know, they they came to us and they said, "Hey, for you guys, been here since the get go. It's you know, it's twelve o'clock at night." time for you guys to go so we were able to um to come back to the firehouse but on the way back we had uh we had stopped at a at a firehouse 40 engine i believe it was and i remember going there i mean we stopped but the the wives were there and the families were there and they they thought that we were the loved ones coming back but we knew that there was one of the first companies or we just knew what we had gone through and it wasn't good. And then uh, we were sitting around and um, Mike Killarney comes out and he says that, um, Hey guys, Tommy was working today and Tommy Scholes was a firefighter in engine A3, but was working down at uh, four engine down at the, uh, the South street seaport, excuse me, which is not, so they were probably, second or third dude went to the trade center and uh i was just i was just crushed because he was a good friend of mine i just crushed and then uh we went back to the firehouse and made it back to 83 bank 29 in the south bronx and uh guys were waiting for us we got him off the rig and they were like they saw ghosts because we were just so full of dust and debris smoke and stuff oh and then um that was that was that was good. That was that was it. And I said, uh, I'll go back down, but I'm not. I I, I, I kind of feel bad because I didn't go down as much as I should have or wanted to. But you know, I it was just too much. I, it was just too much to see, and I didn't want to continue seeing that um, constantly. So I can, you know, I had four kids, four little kids, and. Yeah. You know, I had, you know, baseball coach and, you know, I still had to do stuff, but I also was so worried about the guys, you know, in the firehouse and or guys who were just working on the pile down there. I mean, it was very dangerous. I mean, we've gone down, I went down a couple of times and it was, uh, it was probably more dangerous at that time because all the machinery and yeah. they're pulling every, you know, and we, we had to, you know, GPS everything that we, we found, you know, human remains or, while it's just something we always, you know, GPS everything and yeah. bagged it up. And um, 
So then, uh, yeah, so a couple years later, uh, I was in a fire in the Bronx and I couldn't breathe. And I ran out of air and guys pulled me out. I was okay, but I had to go to the hospital. And after that, I went down to the medical office and uh, took a test. And uh, the doc said, you'll never fight a fire again. And uh, so the only thing I knew was adding to be a soldier. Wow. But, what uh, was the diagnosis? It was hard. I, uh, it's multiple things. I, I, you know, uh, main thing is called hyperactive airway syndrome from all the dust yeah. and stuff. So, it, it, you know, smoke or any kind of cigarettes or cigars or anything like right. that, it, it affects me. Uh, you know, makes me cough, you know. So it's like a form of asthma. Right. Plus, I, you know, my sinuses were all messed up. I got sleep apnea. I got dirt. And then I got PTSD. Um but, you know, they're, they're trying to take care of the guys. I mean, uh, there's a lot of the guys who are dying and who are sick that um, I just, you know, I pray for their families every day. And, I, you know, um, one of the guys said it that day. He said, it's just going to kill us in the long run. Here we are 20, 21 years later, and I'm still here. But it's not a day I don't think about it. Right. Think about my friends and stuff like that, but uh, you know, with with peer friendships and family and seeking help, I'm a, in a lot better place. And speaking about it has helped me a lot. You know, like I said, I appreciate you having me on, and never forget because you know it seems that sometimes people do like it's yeah. just another day for some people. And oh, today, oh, what's today? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, like how old are you? Oh, I'm 19. You have no clue. Yeah. You know, people got to yeah. realize that, you know, that's the only way we can educate younger people about that day is doing podcasts. Right. Going, I, you know, I've, gone, I've gone to some places and spoke, spoke, uh, you know, at conferences and uh, just to get the word out that, you know, we're still here and we never forgot. And it's just a different, it's a whole different world, but in the lives of a, firefighter from 9-11 or anybody that was there that day they they still remember every every aspect of, of it every moment of it yeah yeah i mean I've, I've sat here and i've i've not been able to really there's nothing i can say almost because you've you've laid out the story and i can't imagine the the thought process that had to be going through your mind that day was it 343 firefighters i think was the number right. That passed away. That's not counting the number of police officers that was there. Countless numbers of civilians. Obviously, if anybody's able to to make their way down to New York, I've went a few times in the past few months. Um, you can catch the the memorial fountains that they have. It's right. really, really um, something to take in. I think anybody that goes there should go take a look at that. Everybody's names in there. You can go and find the names. A lot of people put flowers in the names. It's really a sight. Me personally, I had never went to 9-11 while the two trade centers were there. I'd only seen them on films and things of that nature. I went down there my first time to New York was, I think, like a year after 9-11. My birthday's on Labor Day, so my birthday's the second. Okay. It was like the following year. We went down there for my birthday, and they were still cleaning up. They still had everything, like, gated off. Um, and that's like, you know, put that in perspective. For a file, a year, basically a couple, a little bit more, they, they're still cleaning. 
there was still a lot going on down there. Yeah. I mean, they didn't they didn't like tell us to leave the pile until May thirty first of uh, two thousand and two because that's what they were like. There's nobody else, obviously, but they they had cleaned it up. But like you said, um, I didn't go down there for the first couple of years because of just of the timing and the, the, the dramatic that the event, and it was really just like a construction site. Yeah, that's I mean, what it looked like. If I would have not known those towers that fell, right. that's what exactly right. what I thought it would have been was a construction site. Yeah, they had all the, the big uh, steel fence up there, and it was mm-hmm. like, you know, you just couldn't go down. You, you know, it was hard to do that. And guys, guys, a lot of guys went down there, but a lot of guys understood it was. Um, and I said, I'm not going to come back until the uh, memorial was finished, and I did when it came. And I've gone back up. I went up for the 20th. Um, Last year, this year, I just, you know, kind of, it was a Sunday. I just feel, felt that, you know, I'm in North Carolina and, you know, I want to do something just a little bit different instead of keep going up there and, right. and, and, and rehashing everything every other year or every year. It's, if I lived in New York, yeah, of course, I'd be there every day or, you know, every year. But things go on and, and life is moving on and things are changing. And Well, I think one of the things is captivating about that day is you know nobody obviously nobody knew those things were going to happen then after they happened nobody knew what was going to happen after that the building is collapsing um and little split second decisions lives were made and also lost um i've watched a ton of documentaries on this and speaking with a few people, you know, I know there was decisions made in one of the towers where people felt like going to the roof was the safest thing to do. So they were passing each other in the stairways, groups going to the roof, groups heading to the floor. Um, you know, obviously the ones that went to the roof did not make it. So it's life and death situations, maybe even unknowingly, were being made those days. Um, people barely getting out. I spoke with uh, Eric Ronigan who was one of the last documented people to make it out of the, uh, the first tower that got hit. I think it's a North tower. Um, so many things, so many quick decisions, even you guys, you know, you got down there. If you hadn't had to turn back around, you know, you'd have probably been in there. Hey, let me tell you something. That night when we were uh, taking a blow, uh, standing on, uh, sitting on this big screen, big steel burger, you know, and behind us with the trions hanging over us. You know, we were sitting there just, you know, and I looked and I, and I, and guys tell me all the time, and it's true. I looked at Mike Killarney. I said, Michael, I said, thank you. He says, what are you talking about? I said, thank you, man. You saved our lives. You saved my life. And he didn't get it at first. He didn't understand it. And they were like, what are you talking about? Like, dude, if you didn't read that ticket wrong, we would have been, we would have been in the towers. No doubt in my mind. All, we were all, there would have been 443 firefighters killed you know there's five other engine companies that waited for us the chief and his some of his people that went down there and didn't wait for us they all perished they all died so i always man michael colorney is his name and uh he's a true hero to me because like as good great as he was and he's a great man you know but if he didn't if it wasn't really his fault you know no one's fault i mean captain told him where to go he went and it just if there was different captains or different scenarios, I think '83 we would have we would have been in the towers by the time it collapsed. So, like you said, uh, 
there's a will and there's a reason, and for the grace of God go I, you know, but split section decisions, you know, we turned out and we were he I'm going to 35 engine 35 Street and Second Avenue. If he would have went five minutes, it would have taken us five minutes to get over to the firehouse, but it took us about a half an hour to get there. And at yeah. first some guys were pissed off because they were like, Where are you guys been? Blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, at the end of the story, everybody knows that 83 engine. Mike Killarney saved a bunch of guys. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, crazy. even you walking in, you know, I understand where you were coming from, not wanting to see the people jump, because that's one of the big things that, you know, I talk with people on, uh, Eric, you know, also mentioned that as people were just jumping. And he said, like, at one point in time, there was a, I think he said it was a gentleman and he said it was like, he's obviously on the ground. So, you know, he said they made eye contact, like for a split second. And then he said, they just, they hit the ground and he said, it was just horrible to watch. So even you ducking your head just to try not to look, I mean, Hey, you could possibly get hit by some of these people jumping. I think that was actually documented that yes. some people fell Danny on people. Sir. His name is Danny, sir. And he was an engine, not a chauffeur. And he's, I think one of the, he was the first firefighter killed on nine 11 from a, a jumper. He was hooking up to the hydrant. And a jumper killed him, hit, hit him. And then, you know, it's like this here, this guy wasn't even in the buildings or around. He was just hooking up to the hydrant. He's a chauffeur and he gets killed by somebody jumping. And like he said, I, I had to look away because, like, not, not, it wasn't about the eye contact, obviously, but it was just the amount of people that were making these packs together yeah. to jump. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah, you put your head down, but you're still hearing him, yeah. you know, hit the awning, hit the cars, hit the ground. You know, it's, it's sad to say, but it was, it was, that was the, the I still had that in my head. Just, it's a, it's a distinctive thump. Oh, I can believe and, it. And, you know, again, like we were saying, who would have thought it would have come to that, you know, up there and people were making those decisions. That has to let you know how bad it had to be up there in that building, right. because Absolutely. obviously, you know, making that jump that's that's it there's you know there's no way you're gonna live through that and no. it's just the the circumstances up there had to be absolutely excruciating um you know we've talked a little bit in, in prior shows the first building that hit or they got hit rather the way the plane hit that one it completely severed all stairwells so nobody above the impact zone and that one made it out the other one the way that guy kind of came in at a bank dangle it didn't sever all the stairwells and there was a crazy story and you may have uh, heard of it but uh i think it was called the miracle of stairwell b where jay jonas and yeah. some of his crew seven from, seven from a seven from heaven or something like that yeah seven. they were coming down and i think her, i want to say her name was francine i can't remember but, um, they found a lady as they were doing quick floor sweeps and she was injured. So they put her in a chair and was carrying her down these different flights. And, you know, they were having to stop, you know, take a breath here and there. They heard the other tower fall, the first one fall or the, the second one that got hit fell first. So they heard that one and they're like, well, if that one can go, this one can go. So we need to hurry it up. And it's just like they were on like the fourth floor, third or fourth floor. I like that. Right. And the way the whole building, it basically just collapsed around them. It was that one little section of stairwell stayed intact enough and, and all of them survived. And, you know, that's one or two turns earlier, one or two turns later, they don't make it. So many, many lives lost that day, but also many, many saved. 
And I think that's kind of where you got to look is, you know, take the miracles where you can get them in situations like that. Um, you yourself, you know, the miracle of him actually reading that ticket wrong or, you know, that guy, when you're looking down, him seeing that building coming down and he grabbed you. So many things had to go right for you to still be here for your, you know, other coworkers to be here. And, you know, we're definitely glad you guys made it, but unfortunately, you know, a lot of people didn't. And that's why I think it's important to keep these things going. I try to teach my son about it. You know, he's 13 and just to teach him, you know, how devastating that day was to America. I mean, it really, really is. And one of the things is, you know, you always see the pictures and I think you spoke about it earlier, you know, the tagline for nine 11 is, is never forget. And while that's true, I think really also we need to not forget how the world and the nation was after nine 11, because in my opinion, in my opinion, that was probably the first time in my lifetime I can say that we were all one nation under God. It didn't matter what, how old you were. It didn't matter your race. It didn't matter your religion, your political affiliation, your, your gender, none of that shit mattered. Everybody was united. We loved each other and America came together to rebound from this. And we far since gotten away from that, uh, for one reason or another, but, I don't unfortunately you're right, yes. I don't want another tragedy like nine eleven to have to force us to, you know, come together like that again. I wish there's a way we could, you know, do that on our own, but I think that's also something we need to never forget too, that you know, just like we know attacks can happen because it did, we know that America has the capabilities to come together. We've just got to figure out a way to do it and hopefully yeah, yeah. not at the the you know yeah. Results not another tragedy. not another disaster or tragedy to make people realize that we're the greatest country on earth and it's just you gotta just everybody's gotta chill and refocus and just know that that we're blessed to be a part of this country absolutely and, well let me ask you a question too uh after this you know what made you decide to come to north carolina from new york well I, like i said i got the retired uh my dad worked in uh financial business down in uh manhattan for 35 years so uh he's a duke guy he retired and uh, he moved down okay he moved down here in 95 actually they left the day that uh, i graduated the academy okay and uh so they they built the house down here in 95 and obviously when after everything was said and done um a pension you know my dad said you know can live a little bit easier down here. So yeah. we moved, I moved down here uh, 15 years ago, so 16 years. Something like that. Right. Yeah. Well, look, Love man, it. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the show. You've got an amazing story and you know, you can tell as you were telling it, you you're still very emotional about it. I can't imagine you will ever be able to tell that story and not be, um, you're fortunate enough to a lot of your guys you were at least working with that day made it through, but also a lot of the guys you knew that that firefighter group, I know you talked about the kind of the competition between Brooklyn and the Bronx, but at the end of the day, all you guys were a brotherhood. And we're all FDNY. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're all, all a brotherhood. All FDNY. And I know so many people lost so many people close to them and, you know, prayers to everyone that was lost, uh, prayers to their families 
prayers to the, even the ones that made it through that are still struggling today, be it with sickness or, you know, a ton of survivors guilt was, uh, you know, carried on after that. And just, you well, know, a lot of guys still have it. We all yeah. still have it. Yeah. Yeah. But, so there's, there's so many people that need to be prayed for and continuing to be prayed for. Cause like we discussed, you know, some guys are battling illnesses that, you know, went down there to help and, and try to help rescue. And they're now kind of, you know, starting to get hit with some yeah. of the things, diseases and whatnot. I mean, and then people that too, that just have PTSD that, I mean, you know, some of that stuff you can, I can't even unsee it. And I wasn't there. I'm just going off visuals from TV. I can't imagine being there in person. I can't, you know, you would think Eric spoke on our first episode with the 9-11 tribute. And he said for years, every time a train went off or a horn went off or thunder, it just, you know, he was immediately put right back mm -hmm. in there. Yeah, I, I hear him. Yeah. I don't, sometimes I don't like to be around large groups or yeah people, you know, like you said, if a, there's a, Plane flying low, you you know you kind of like what's going on. Looking, yeah, a loud bang will startle you just because that's what happened and it stays with you. And I want to say one thing: post traumatic stress is not a disorder. Disorder, it's an injury. People get that wrong. Post traumatic stress is not a disorder. It's an injury to your brain from what you saw. So that stigma about having a disorder kind of needs to. You know, just say you have post-traumatic stress. It's yeah. not, you know, it's, you're not sick, you know. You got an injury. And no, that makes perfect sense. I think you're 100% correct on that. Yeah. Well, David, look, man, again, no. I'm going to tell you, I can't, you know, I don't, I don't know how to show my appreciation for you coming on the show. I'm, I'm glad you could stop by and, and share your story. Um, We're going to put this up on all of our platforms, man, YouTube, audio I side, everything, and hopefully people will take a listen and just take into account, you know, the stories that you and our other guests have shared for that day and hope that, you know, everybody appreciates the the sacrifices that a lot of people made that day. And again, our hats off to you. And not only do we appreciate your service to our country as your time, we also appreciate your service down there during nine 11. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Hollywood Wade. That was David Carpenter. And unfortunately, we are out of time. Tune in next week for an all new episode of crime and entertainment. David, we appreciate it, my friend. Thank you, brother. Never forget. Exactly. Well, boy, oh boy, what an episode that was folks. I hope you all enjoyed it. Please, please. If you do go over like, and subscribe to us on the YouTube's crime and entertainment. Also head on over there. If you're just an audio listener, we appreciate that as well. Like us on Spotify. If you're ever on Apple, give us five stars. It helps us drive us up the charts. Now, the social media side of things, folks, we're on the Facebook. Go over and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram as well at crime, the letter N, entertainment, because somebody stole that other username, so we couldn't grab that one. So follow us over there on the YouTubes. We're also on TikTok at crime and entertainment over there. Follow us on there. We put out our clips each and every week of the episode, so it kind of gives you a feel if this is something that you know, you'll get into for this week's episode. We know everybody would probably enjoy these because it's just, it's not often you get to hear these stories from people that were there boots on the ground, so to speak, and, you know, get that firsthand account. And I think this is something that's for everybody. Um, you know, we do mob shows on here. That's not for everybody. You know, we do drug smuggling shows. That's not for everybody, but I think this right here kind of checks all the boxes for people to, you know, just, 
admire the heroism of all those brave men and women down there at nine 11 that day that lost their lives and, you know, help keep the story alive. That's what it's all about. You know, the tagline as we spoke is never forget. And I think this will help no one forget those days, uh, as much as we want to forget the events, but we don't want to forget those who lost their lives. And we hope that this video keeps their memories alive and well. Now, folks, if you want to help us out, please, please, what I say is just share our stuff on your social media accounts. That's helped spread the word about our program. We're not trying to put our hands in your pockets. We're not trying to take a 20 out. We're not trying to shortchange it. We just want you to share the show. That really helps get the word out about it. People can go back and check out our back episodes. We have a ton of great stuff coming your way. We've got a five-part series that's going to entail Barry Seal, drug smugglers, along with his connection to Bill Clinton, uh, on up to the corruption, all the way up to the White House, folks. So that's going to be a good one. We've got Ignacio Esteban coming to you tomorrow with our latest episode on some of the 1%er biker gangs. We cover Sonny Barger, who recently passed away, as well as Mom Boucher a little bit. He recently passed away for the Hells Angels as well. We go in detail on Taco Bowman, former Outlaws motorcycle uh, figurehead and also Doc Cavazos, former leader of the Mongols. So if you into the biker stuff, be sure to check that one out. It is a fantastic episode. It will drop tomorrow, folks. And that will be it for tonight. I am Hollywood Wade. And unfortunately, we are out of time. Tune in tomorrow for a new episode of Crime and Entertainment. <laughs>